Well, these words of the scripture text that I'll read for us in a few moments, in reading them, they've given me pause to stop and think about all the many unfathomable mysteries that God has woven into place as he has created and now he daily sustains life here on this earth. And those mysteries really are many. And while our scientists and our educators and our doctors and our philosophers and others have tried their best to explain all those mysteries using their intelligent sounding words of worldly wisdom, their words still do fall woefully short. One of those unfathomable mysteries is the mystery of sin. The mystery of sin. That mystical power that has reached into the souls of men and women from those first moments of life back there in the Garden of Eden. And now control most all of the thoughts and the behaviors within the hearts and minds of most all the people on the earth. The mystery of sin. Now while sin is defined simply as being any want of conformity unto or transgression of any law of God, that being simple, it reaches much, much further than those simple words might imply. Controlling, devastating the souls and the daily lives of most every person on this earth. Most every person that succumbs to sin. And all of us do. All of us do. But thanks be to God in what these scriptures call the fullness of time, God brought about His miraculous and eternal remedy for that insidious power and control of sin. Here in the birth of this little baby that we will read about in a moment, the Lord Jesus, and all that Jesus would later accomplish while He's on this earth, sin would meet its ultimate defeat. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read the first few verses of chapter 2 of the book of Luke. Verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. As we read these words about this miraculous birth of the baby Jesus, it's important for us to remember that this story that we are reading here did not begin in that small town of Nazareth or there in Bethlehem. These events that we're reading about here are just some of many, many events in a much greater plan that God had put into place long before even the foundations of the earth were spoken into being. And I confess to you that I don't know why God chose this moment in time to bring the baby Jesus into the world. But we do know that his timing had a purpose. Why should that be so? It's because as we read throughout these scriptures, we can clearly see 
that it is a part of the character of God to always be intentional and to always have a purpose. Everything has a purpose with God. He's not random. Those who would believe that random events take place, they do not. God is intentional and He does everything with purpose. And another important reminder that I have been giving to us each week is that every event, every encounter, every conversation, and especially every surrender has been essential and necessary as a part of this special plan that God put in place. And here that plan is being worked out in all of its intimate details. A plan that would once and forever provide a solution to that plague of sin that had afflicted the hearts and lives of men and women from that very first moment in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and fell into their sin. Folks, while midsummer does seem an odd time for us to be talking about Christmas, as we say so often during that season of the year, that birth of Jesus Christ, described there in these verses that I just read, that's what the celebration is all about. And yes, Christmas is a wonderful time of giving and family gathering and showing love for one another and all those things, and all that is good. All of that is good, but much more than all that, the true meaning of the celebration of Christmas is that Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to be our Emmanuel, God with us. How important is that to you? That He came, but He also remained. He is with us intimately, daily. The Lord Jesus came to live among us Himself and to preach and to teach and to do all the miracles that He did and then to die on the cross to save us from our sin. That's what His birth was all about. But also in that sense, Christmas has far more to do with sin than it has to do with anything else, gift-giving and family fellowship. Let me say that again. Christmas has far more to do with sin than it has to do with gift-giving. God needed to deal with sin, the sin that resides, that abides within the hearts of men and women. And the coming to earth of this promised Messiah was the way that God chose to deal with sin. As we read these words of Scripture, to the outside world looking in, the plan that was unfolding in the lives of Mary and Joseph probably seemed very normal, very ordinary, natural. A young woman was having a baby. That same thing had been taking place untold millions of times in the lives of others over the past centuries. So the, to the onlooking world, this one birth probably seemed much like all the rest. But not so with Mary and Joseph. They knew something was different. And now we know. You and I know. This birth was very, very different from every other birth that had ever taken place before. Beginning with that mysterious visit by the angel, telling them about all that would take place. And then especially the fact at this very moment, at this very moment, Mary was still a virgin. Everything that was taking place in their lives at that moment was very, very different. And probably the greatest difference of all was the reason for that birth. The reason for the birth of the Lord Jesus. As we mentioned a moment ago, this special birth had to do with a divine plan. A plan that had been conceived in the courts of the Trinity in eons past, long before the thing that we now call time 
had even begun. Even before the first stone was laid in the foundations of the earth. Please do read about that in Ephesians chapter 1, the first few verses. God explains it very clearly. And His plan would have a specific purpose in mind, as I mentioned a moment ago. A plan to, once and for all, to deal a death blow to this plague of sin. This plague that had become such an integral part of the lives and the lifestyle of all creation. And we know from reading the beginning accounts of man's existence, temptation and sin had entered in and taken possession of men's hearts and minds from the earliest beginnings back there in the garden. Have you ever wondered how that could have taken place? I have. How could such a thing take place in such a pristine environment? Two people in a perfect environment with nothing to gain and everything to lose, making wrong and even eternal choices. Not only for them, but for every one of us who would follow after them. Folks, sin truly is an insidious force as it takes up residence within a person's soul, dominating their thoughts and their behaviors, even to such an extent that no amount of trying, no amount of trying, no amount of human effort could ever be able to defeat it. Only this plan, this little baby, and the mission that this little baby would carry out after he became a man would be able to finally and forever defeat that insidious power of sin. It's as simple as that. You know, little did Adam and Eve know that their one simple decision to surrender themselves over to Satan's temptation would bring this kind of devastating misery, pain, and suffering that we see taking place every day in the lives of our loved ones and all over the earth. But that really is the way and the nature of sin. It only takes one surrender to one temptation. And before we realize it, that one sin has formed itself into a full-blown natural way of behavior. It did that with Adam and Eve, and it has done that same in every other life since. That one sin that they gave into has become a nature, a sin nature, our nature, your and my nature, each one of us. But folks, one thing remains true in all of that. God is holy. And God cannot allow sin to endure forever, taking possession over men and women, the apple of His eye. He cannot abide with it, with sin in His presence. I'd like to pause here for a moment and offer some possible guesses as to why these two innocent people, Adam and Eve, would make such a devastating choice. The choice that would forever alter the very being of mankind and, the, and would wreak havoc in every soul that came after them. Surely they didn't know because there was no other people around. So they had some sense of excuse for what they did in that they did not know that it would malaffect their children and their children's children. But why would they do it anyway? Why would they make that choice? It said there in the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. I pondered that. They were made in His image. They were able to think, to do things, to desire things, to want things, just like God. But they were only in His image, a likeness. They were really not completely like God. 
Yes, in his image, they could think and make choices. And they could desire those things. But not being exactly as God is, they were limited in their ability to truly understand the difference between right and wrong. And more importantly, themselves not being exactly like God, they didn't possess this inward righteousness that God had enable them to refuse to do the things that they wanted to do, those wrong and sinful things. And so eventually, with the right temptation, and we don't really know how long Satan tempted Eve. By the way, Adam was there with her all along also. It was her that was beguiled. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. That's why God accredits sin to Adam. But we don't know how long, how many conversations took place. We only have the one that's been recorded there in Scripture. There might have been years of temptation. We don't know. But eventually, with the right temptation, they succumbed to the power of sin and they made those wrong choices, forever condemning themselves and all of us who would follow after them to a lifetime, even to an eternity, of suffering from sin and death. What a change. What a change. In only a moment, all of eternity was transformed from this blessed righteousness and bliss into misery and death. That's the way of sin. That is the way of sin in your and my life today. But thanks be to God, He really is omniscient. He knew from the beginning that all this would take place. And so there in the courts of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they developed their plan. A plan that would remedy sin and redeem mankind from their newfound sinful condition. And this birth, this birth here that we read about in these scriptures was God's answer to all that had taken place in the souls of men and women. This child would be that remedy for sin, that redeemer that mankind would need to be able to purchase God's people back from their bondage to sin. And you do know that we live in a bondage. It's not just that we can take or leave sin. We are born with a nature that wants to sin. But not only do we want to sin, we are under bondage to sin. Scripture tells us that clearly. And that's the need for redemption. That's what the word means. Redeeming. Paying the price to buy us back from that sin and death that sin demands. What we find taking place here in the birth of this little baby is God putting into place what our Bible teachers call the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. You'll recall that God had put another covenant into place in those first moments of human life there in the Garden of Eden when He commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil under penalty of death, both spiritually and physically. But unfortunately, they chose to break God's covenant and disobey. And they did die, first spiritually, and then eventually physically. But thanks be to God, thanks be to God, here beginning with this birth of this blessed baby, the Lord Jesus, God was putting a new covenant into place, a covenant of grace, a plan, and not only a plan, but a means by which men and women could find redemption from their disobedience and sin. Through this innocent little baby, God was providing the final and effectual answer to that wretched sin nature 
that had plagued and dominated souls of men since those first days there in the garden. A question. Why would God wait so long, several thousands of years after the sin of Adam and Eve, to take these steps to defeat sin? We don't know the exact answer to that question, but we do know that it has to do with His patience. And He tells us so. His tarrying for us was for our good. He said so in 2 Peter 3. He said, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It has to do with God's patience. And these scriptures refer to God's timetable for all of this to take place as being the fullness of time. The fullness of time. We don't know how God measures time to know when such fullness of time has taken place. Why it had not taken place in all those previous generations. But now here, in this very special moment being described here, the fullness of time had finally arrived. And here as we read about these dear servants, Mary and Joseph, traveling all the way to Bethlehem, we can trust with a certainty that every event, every encounter, every conversation, and especially every moment of surrender was essential to God's timetable in this very special plan that He was putting into place. And Bethlehem was God's chosen place for the birth of that little baby to take place. Every detail was part of God's plan. He had prophesied about it hundreds of years earlier. And let me pause here and remind us of some of those prophecies about Jesus that led up to this moment here. The prophecies actually began first right there in the Garden of Eden where sin began its work. There recall that in rebuking Satan for having tempted Eve, God prophesied about how he, God, would later on defeat this newfound power that Satan had put into the hearts of men. Listen to what he has to say there in Genesis chapter 3. This is right after Adam and Eve had sinned. Verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And then listen to this next verse. Verse 15 of chapter 3 of Genesis and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman that's spoken about here is this very same Jesus that the Virgin Mary gave birth to here in this table. That's the seed that God was talking about there in Genesis. And while Satan would surely bruise the heel of Jesus by tempting and beguiling his beloved bride, you and me, David, Satan would never be able to fully defeat God's people. And Jesus promises that. He promised in John chapter 10, listen, John chapter 10, verse 27, says there, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one, Jesus said. So yes, Satan would surely bruise the heel of Jesus, tempting and beguiling us like he does 
But Satan would never be able to fully defeat Jesus. We have that confidence. And never would he defeat us, the beloved bride. Jesus would defeat Satan. Jesus would bruise his head and cast him into that eternal damnation of hell. This tells us that in the book of Revelation. Recall also that God continued from that moment there in the beginning with Genesis 3. He continued to remind us throughout all the generations that He would bring it all to pass. Listen to these prophecies about 700 years before Jesus was born. This is the prophet Isaiah. He said in Isaiah 7.14, listen to these. These are familiar words. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. That virgin, folks. That virgin is the same dear young woman, Mary, that's spoken about here. Listen again to those words where the angel was speaking to Mary. This is Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 26. Now this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And then God also prophesied through Isaiah very specific prophecies about this baby that Mary would bear. There in Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 6, these familiar words. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And he adds, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now again, that angel Gabriel, who had come to Mary earlier, had said some of these very same words to her. He said there, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Isn't it exciting to know that these things that took place here and these words were not just the happenings of men and women doing the things that men and women do, but were instead a part of a very special plan of God. It was His plan, and He was going to carry it forward. And He said to us there again, in those words of verse 7 of Isaiah 9, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And as we read these simple words about Mary and Joseph and traveling to Bethlehem and about the baby Jesus being born there in the stable, we can see God's fullness of time finally coming to fruition. Listen to these words in Galatians chapter 4. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That law, that covenant of God that had been put into place all the way back there in the garden. That law that declared that if men choose to sin, they would surely die. That law and the penalty for it was being wiped away by this new covenant of grace 
that this baby Jesus was bringing to men. It was the fullness of time. And God had sent forth His Son, Jesus, to redeem all of us who are under the law, that first law that condemned us to death, so that we might instead receive life eternally and become the true sons that God intended us to be from the beginning. Let me read these words as we close. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, you and I, those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.